It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from godaddy.com today. You are jamming out with Breaking Battlegrounds. Some new music, because apparently we got in copyright trouble. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Chuck. We got the future, former AG on the phone. Future, future AG. Future AG. AG. So this is the man who's going to be prosecuting us very shortly here. <laughs> so we're just taking this off his future docket. How are you, Abe? I'm doing great. Yep, I'm going to prosecute you guys for calling me a former AG already. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we're trying to put you in the private sector to make more money. See, we're thinking <laughs> we're thinking ahead for you, Abe. Right. We've we've got your career path all mapped all mapped out. So, folks, yeah. well, the- you know, guys, it's great to be on because you were also my first radio interview I ever did when I first announced the campaign. Really? So um, yes, that's right. Wow, so, I didn't know that. So all the goodwill, all the training came from us, is what you're saying. <laughs> Actually, I remember Sam Stone saying, Abe, you got to run as honest, Abe. So, you know, we got those, uh, those yard signs for you, Sam. <laughs> uh, and those are fantastic. I love them. I have one in my window right now. Sam will be invoicing you today for that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Folks, in, in case you, you know, our, our offbeat intro here did not explain it. We are talking with Abraham Hamaday. He is the candidate. Republican candidate for attorney general for the state of Arizona. His opponent is a George Soros-funded nightmare, and we need this gentleman in office. We are so glad to have him on the line with us today. Abe, how's the campaign going? It is so energetic, Sam and Chuck. I mean, right now, what we're doing in Arizona, the rest of the country is really watching. And, you know, they're so amazed that all of these all of our, all of the nominees are working together. I mean, you have me, Carrie, Blake, uh, Mark Finch. We're all promoting each other everywhere we're going. We're going to each other's events. You know, we, we see this as a movement right now, and it's, it's really unlike anything we've ever seen before, especially in politics. So um, on my end, it's going really well. I mean, I have an update for you all, but the Democratic Attorney General Association, they withdrew all of their money for my opponent. So they actually withdrew about $2 million. Really? Wow. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal because, and and of course, of course the media doesn't write about this, right? No. The media wants to talk about any time that Mitch McConnell does something, you know, on a Senate side. But as soon as it affects the Democrats, they just keep quiet. So I'm lucky, lucky to have you guys on where I can announce these things. But the Republican Attorney General Association... They actually invested $3 million into my race. So just look at the difference right there. They're, they're abandoning my opponent, and the Republicans are coming in because they understand how important this role is. And I'm, I'm a great candidate, and it's really evident on that debate stage the other week where it was what a what a complete failure for my I wasn't just debating my opponent I was debating all three I was debating the two moderators yeah, I was going to say that was three that was that was three on one that debate it was three on one the two moderators for PBS plus your opponent going after you well yeah one of them was from the Arizona Republic and she failed to disclose that my opponent used to work at the Arizona Republic and was accused of insider trading at the time was kicked off the campaign bus by John McCain out of all people you know John McCain did not like my opponent being being there because that's how dishonest he thought of her. So, you know, it was, and I had a smile on my face the whole time. I'm a happy warrior. You know, I kind of have to laugh at the media. I mean, their gaslighting is is so it it, it it's hilarious, but it's also sad at the same time. But I think their influence is waning very rapidly. So let's talk about the border. Tell me the difference, or tell our listeners what is the difference between you and your opponent regarding border enforcement and what can the AG do to help tighten up that border, which is just an open sea right now? Well, it's a great question, Chuck. So, I mean, the difference between my opponent and myself on it is she does not talk about the border. She refuses to acknowledge what's going on at the border. Is She just has her eyes closed. And for me, I've gone to the border multiple times right now, and my Biggest thing, first of all, is I mean, even current Attorney General Burnovich, he has said what's going down at the border is an invasion. And when Carrie Lake takes office, I'm going to work with her on that invasion declaration. But 
something that I've been calling for for the past year that I've been running is that I want to label the drug cartels as terrorist organizations, Chuck. And with that designation, there's actually going to be an enhanced sentencing on them. And under current Arizona law, we use the U.S. Department of State's definition of what a terrorist is. And unfortunately, the U.S. Department of State has been politicized. And when I was in the military overseas last year in Saudi Arabia, we were actually getting some missiles fired on us from the Yemen Houthi rebels. And they were terrorist organizations, but they were just delisted by the Joe Biden administration as terrorists, which is another reason why the Saudis are not very happy with, with Joe Biden. So, you know, me, my, my military experience, you know, I recognize that the threat is our, the narco-terrorists down at our southern border, the drug cartels. So with that, with that classification of them being terrorists, enhanced sentencing is going to be a big, uh, is going to be a key component. So instead of just getting five years for smuggling drugs, they might be getting 10 or 15 years or longer. And also, we could have a Caesar assets in, in creative ways as well. So that's one of the main issues I'm going to work on. But even Governor Ducey, if you just saw what he did in August, Chuck, he put those shipping containers down at the southern border. He did that without the authorization of the federal government. And I think that's what it takes right now. We have to test the limits of the federal government because they're refusing to take action. It's time for the Arizona to take matters into our own hands. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no question. A- anytime you have an opponent right now who's not talking about the border at all, what it means is they're open borders and they're just not willing to admit it to the public because they won't get elected. That's exactly right. And they, they I mean, you saw some of that Katie Hobbs ad that she's down at the border. I mean, it's, it's, such a, it's so laughable because they never want to talk about the fentanyl that's coming across, or if they do want to talk about it, they don't want to go to the root cause of it. The root cause of it is coming from the southern border, and there's so much complexities with the border situation. So there's the complexities of the illegal immigrants who are coming across our southern border, but also with the main drug operation from the drug cartels, which is those who are sneaking into the country, evading law enforcement, wearing those camouflage um, outfits to evade law enforcement. So there's so much going on. The cartels they're actually profiting from both. They, if yes. you saw the report from the Department of Homeland Security, they rate, they had $11 billion, which, by the way, I think is on the low end of things, $11 billion from human, from the human trafficking to get them across the southern border, plus the hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in the drugs also. Right. I mean, $11 billion is truly, it's like an MBA getting an Excel sheet just doing a guesstimate, right? Because it's a cash business. I mean, they're not like going down to Wells Fargo and taking a loan out to pay a coyote. Well, and, and I don't know if you've seen this, Abe, but but uh, there was a piece that ProPublica put out yesterday, I think it was, which really tied a Chinese businessman with deep ties to the Chinese government to the fentanyl crisis and money laundering and the trafficking. I mean, all of it, this is an international criminal conspiracy stretching across multiple continents. Absolutely. And he, yeah, he's not a businessman. He's a gangster and he's a thug. And I, I saw the article and that's what's going on. The Chinese are working hand-in-hand hand with the drug cartels to subvert our safety. I mean, they're poisoning children right now. They, they're the ones who brought the COVID into the United States. And, you know, Attorney General Eric Schmidt in Missouri, he actually sued the Chinese Communist Party and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And I think there's still an ongoing lawsuit regarding that, you know, whether ultimately it actually goes anywhere. But at least it brings awareness to what's happening you know, so this is where, you know, the, the Mexican government also has to get tougher. And that's why I appreciate what President Trump did in office. He got tough with Mexico. When you go down to the border, they give the Mexican government, they actually have pamphlets printed by the government, instructions on how to get to the United States and what to do to claim asylum. I mean, it is what it, it's so criminal what's happening. So this requires, you know, people with, with tough negotiation skills. And where I talk about my experience. Being in the U.S. Army Reserve, I was overseas in Saudi Arabia. You know, Saudi Arabia is a complicated country, Chuck and Sam. I mean, this is this is the number one purchaser of all U.S. military training and sales in the world, $130 billion. And, uh, you know, it's not like negotiating with Iraqis or Afghans. You're not dictating terms that you're actually negotiating. I mean, look at Joe Biden right now. He's done a terrible job at negotiating with Saudi Arabia. You saw that Saudi Arabia basically had to publicly rebuke him just this week about him trying to postpone those oil cuts until after the election. Well, and, and then Biden the Biden immediately threatened them with a change in the U.S. relationship. I mean, he's literally putting national security behind his own electoral interests. Uh, Abe, I, I want to move on real quick because we only have about three minutes left here. I want to move on real quick and talk about law and order. 
uh, and courtroom experience because you've been in a courtroom. Has your opponent ever been in a courtroom? She has never practiced law. <laughs> I, I can't get I can't get over how you know the Democrats they 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 don't have primaries and you know I I ran up against some really tough opponents who are really well qualified and you know I learned a lot from them on the trail right I mean you're debating with them you're talking to them you you bounce ideas um, from some of these debates and with her she is she has never practiced law she is an environmentalist professor at ASU and she's a former journalist um, in a corporation commission but. She has never been in the courtroom. I've I've prosecuted dozens of trials. I've you know served my country honorably overseas, and that's what's so offensive is she keeps saying that you know that we're the threat to democracy. And I keep telling her, you know, listen, Chris, democracy is going to defeat you on November eighth. And you know, I, I would hope she does the right thing and concede that election when it's so, such an overwhelming uh, uh, support for myself and the entire Republican ticket. But, you know, it, it is I, yeah, when, when, when you were defending our country, she was lying to the people of Arizona, pretending she was a Republican to get elected to the Corpcom. <laughs> well, she, she she it's so foolish. All she stands for nothing, Sam. And I think the voters understand that. But, you know, certainly law enforcement does. That's why I've been endorsed by every single law enforcement organization in the state, because, Law enforcement no longer trusts the Democratic Party to have their interests. When they were legitimately calling to defund the police and abolish ICE, you know, we cannot we cannot forget that's what they were calling for. They're the ones still calling to end cash bail and having releasing criminals back on our streets. We got to get back to the basics. All we're calling for is sort of common sense, you know, conservative ideas, which is you know safety, prosperity, and making sure Arizona is free. And a lot of the attacks on you are being funded through George Soros, the Open Society Foundation, the people that have driven the anti-police, defund the police narrative, right? Absolutely. And they're, and they're using the media. The media is the propaganda arm of the Democratic Party. And that's why they're so scared of Carrie Lake, myself. And, you know, we know how to combat them. We had a press conference last month where Carrie Lake and I, we took the media to task when they try to call our law enforcement officers racist. You know, it's unacceptable. And the media is particularly worried about me and you know why we're leading big in the polls. Really, we're leading really big, and that's why the Democrats had to abandon my opponent. That's the only statewide race that they abandoned. It's because they have a hard time, you know, defining me. Right now, I am the I'm the son of immigrants. I'm a veteran. I'm a prosecutor, and I can communicate. And I think they're deathly afraid of me. Absolutely. Hey, before we wrap up here today, tell folks how they can follow you, follow your campaign. Hopefully, folks, if you're listening out there, you understand the stakes in Arizona right now are high. Arizona will will determine a lot of what happens in this country. Uh, and we need to get these candidates, including Abe, across the line. So, Abe, tell folks how they follow you. They can go to abe4ag.com, A-B-E-F-O-R-A-G.com. And we can use any financial help because you're right. George Soros can come in and ultimately dump millions of dollars. But we can use all the help we can get from your listeners. Fantastic. Abraham Hamaday, candidate for attorney general in the state of Arizona. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. Um, for this segment, we're going to talk about a really interesting event that's happened here in Arizona regarding um, Republican Carrie Lake and her Democrat opponent, Katie Hobbs, who has refused to debate Carrie Lake. Um, and this week, um, well, Sam, it, 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 the Arizona Republic today had a, an article. That's, I mean, they've been blasting it. Arizona PBS... ASU under fire from Carrie Lake's campaign after decision to give Katie Hobbs an interview. Take our audience, Sam, from how this all began, Katie's refusal mm-hmm. to debate, how everybody tried everything in the world to get her to debate, and frankly, she's been a wimp about it, and there's no other way to say it. And then you had this event, and all of a sudden, Arizona PBS decided without telling anybody that they're going to give Katie airtime. Right. Go ahead. Well, so uh, as folks know, and I I always disclose this, I am Carrie Lake's policy director. So obviously I have a a vested stake in this. But Arizona Clean Elections Commission, we have a a group that you can actually get funding for elections um, if you don't want to go out and raise money from, you know, from the general public. You can get, get $5 donations and then you get a whole bunch of money from the state to run. But the other thing they do 
is that they host all the debates, the major debates on PBS between all the statewide candidates here in Arizona. The congressional uh, they don't do the congressional candidates, um, but they they do all the statewides, and they've had a standing policy for the better part of two decades that they offer it to every candidate who's on the ballot, and then if one of the candidates uh, refuses and the other one agrees, that candidate and it's an hour long debate. If one of the candidates agrees, the other one refuses. The one who agrees is given a 30-minute interview in lieu of the debate. And the candidate who ducked out of it gets nothing. And this is obviously to keep the debates going. These have been an integral part of Arizona politics. And let me stand you that. The Clean Election Committee has bent over backwards trying to get Katie Hobbs on this debate, yes. correct? I mean, it's not like they just, they've held this very st- strong line in the sand. They have tried everything in the world to accommodate her, but said you have to do the debate. Well, and, and it's gone so far that Carrie Lake has even offered to let the Hobbs campaign write the questions. I mean, you know. Really? Yeah, no. She's multiple times on air offered to let them write the questions, let them choose the moderator, uh, name the time and the place. I mean, you know, any of that kind of thing. And Hobbs has flat refused to debate. She will not be in the same room at the same time as Carrie Lake. And when, you know, whenever they actually have been, which has only been twice, Katie Hobbs has melted down and gone running. I mean, literally gone running. She did it from a chamber forum. She did it from a Hispanic chamber forum because she happened to put her eyes on Carrie Lake and she couldn't handle it. Well, so reading this article here, um, this is a great comment here by the Arizona Republic. One day after Lake's interview at the university-affiliated public broadcasting station was abruptly canceled, questions remained about who at Arizona PBS or the university made the controversial decision to invite Hobbs for the interview. So when did the campaign find out that all of a sudden they're going to give this time, and who do you think pushed this decision? Well, actually, we, we have a pretty good knowledge. So I, I hadn't quite—I'm giving long stories this morning, folks. I apologize. But— Kerry had agreed and been given the 30 minutes. And then we heard on, I believe it was Tuesday, um, late in the after mid, midday, that PBS was scheduling a separate 30-minute interview with Katie Hobbs against the traditions and, and against the rules that they have set in place with their broadcast with their partners at Clean Elections. And what we've learned is that decision didn't come, obviously, Clean Elections had no idea. They found out about it when they heard about it in the media. In fairness, they seem furious about it. And they are. And they have responded very honorably and just said immediately, we're going to cancel tonight's thing with Carrie. We're severing our relationship with PBS. We're going to find a different broadcast partner, a different venue, different moderator, all that kind of thing. We're going to give Carrie her 30 minutes because she stood up here to debate. If if Hobbs wants to show up, we'll still give him the hour. Kudos to to the Clean Election Commission. They have, they have acted honorably and with integrity throughout this entire process, and, and they have tried to accommodate the candidates, and they've tried to accommodate Katie Hobbs, and Katie Hobbs will not be accommodated because she's not going to be on stage with Carrie Lake. She knows she's going to, you know, Carrie's going to mop the floor with her. Right. And this came down from ASU Cronkite School of Journalism, where this PBS station is embedded within the Cronkite School. And from what we understand, Bettino Batts Jr. Um, is the person who is the dean of the ASU Cronkite School and made this decision and told PBS this is what they're going to do. And then they tried to lie. Then they tried to lie. They said, oh, we offered this same 30 minutes additionally to both candidates. They did not until we blew up the issue in public. And then they, they claimed, oh, no, well, we'll give you an extra 30 minutes too. That was their, try, their escape valve. That they tried to, and then they're trying to claim to the press that that was offered all along. Well, show us the email, show us the phone call, show us where you called Carrie Lake's campaign, and it, it did not happen. So they are lying about this. Uh, the ASU School of Journalism is lying about this, which is perfect analogy for modern journalism. Well, and they have a track record the last two years of being completely Th- incompetent is, and dishonest over there. This is an activist institution. Absolutely, absolutely. So. What happens now? Well, I mean, Kerry has still said, and she gave them till noon today, the Hobbs campaign to agree to a clean elections debate because we're we're running out of time. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, two and a half weeks, right? There's just there's we're running out of time, and she said she will appear, you know, um, on other programs, but we're not gonna we're not playing ball with this PBS station. We're not gonna give them the ratings that Kerry Lake brings at this point because pure and simple, Kerry Lake this was gonna get carried if they'd had a debate. 
for the first time in Arizona history, it was going to be carried live on every single broadcast station in Arizona. Really? So they've not been live before? No, all the other stations do, you know, they cut pieces of it and run it on their news shows, but they don't actually air the live debate. They leave that just to PBS. But in this case, because Carrie Lake is, is you know, such a nationally um, interesting, internationally interesting figure, uh, they they were going to have it. Every station in Arizona would have been carrying it live. And we so we went out there uh, with Carrie. She held a press conference outside PBS. She called them out for it. And there were literally more reporters there from around the world, every major national news station, stations from from Europe, from Australia, from from uh, Asia, were all there covering this. They were all going to come to cover this debate if it ever happened. And it was the, literally the most media I've ever seen in Arizona outside of the Super Bowl. Well, I think part, has Katie Hobbs ever done a debate in any campaign? Not that I'm aware of. Not, I mean, certainly not a, a real one. I just feel that she's not intellectually capable she of was, doing debate. I don't feel she's quick on her feet. I feel she has to be very programmed. Um, I think she's just a younger version of Joe Biden. I don't think she comes quick on her feet. I don't think she has quick retorts. Um, I just think she's an intellectual lightweight. And I'm really surprised with that and the racial discrimination lawsuits that she lost in court and taxpayers had a fund that Democrats didn't run the mayor of Phoenix or Staten or anybody else. I, I'm really amazed they just let her have a free pass. Well, they play musical chairs with assigned seating. And it yeah. was her turn to have that seat. It's really incredible. And I can't believe they just didn't say, we need a better candidate. I think this would be a different race. Well, it, it probably would be. I mean, I, I think it almost certainly would be. But Katie Hobbs, as someone said yesterday, uh, her communication skills are somewhere between John Fetterman and Joe Biden. And at least they have excuses. <laughs> Folks, if you're not following us, go visit BreakingBattlegrounds.vote. Um, join us on our social media. Uh, we have lots of great content always there, plus clips of the show. Feel free to share it with your friends. And we're going to be right back with Jeff Hayes, who's done a documentary on Fauci and the whole COVID mess and Fauci's little empire. We'll be back. You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor costs less. Welcome back. To Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? Uh, what if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? A portfolio where you know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Uh, you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. In today's market, Chuck, that's sounding like a better and better deal. Uh, and folks, if you're interested in that, in making sure that you protect your portfolio right now, need you to log on to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or call them at 844-204-7756. Tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. You'll be glad you did. Well, fantastic. Well, today we have with us Jeff Hayes. Um, Jeff, I've known Jeff for two decades when he did one of his first documentaries, and he has come out with a new one, which we're going to play the trailer here um, real quick. Go ahead, Jeremy. It's called The Real Anthony Fauci. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Science has an air of authority. So people who want to push back on authority push back on science. Science is about constant skepticism, constant questioning, and you didn't see any of that. You saw a narrative. In a 20-month period, they obliterated all the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution with no objection in the American press.
normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population. If the FDA says it's okay to take the vaccine, are you going to take it? I'm going to look at the data upon which the FDA makes that decision. Well, that's fantastic. Jeff, so, you know, we were talking before we have a gubernatorial campaign here in Arizona where the Democrat nominee has told people, I don't talk to people I don't know about politics. And that rang to me when we had just had the clip from, from Dr. Fauci saying, you know, you're not attacking Fauci, you're attacking science, right? As you've done this film, what has surprised you about it as you've made it? Well, when I first saw Fauci, I wasn't familiar with his career. And so he appeared on at Trump's side. Here's this avuncular, grandfatherly, likable, reasonable guy. And so every time I saw interviews with him, I, you know, I, I personally liked him. And then, you know, some of the messaging started getting weird when he went from no, you know, no need for masks, masks don't help, you know, they can actually make things worse to all of a sudden mandatory masks. But I was really unfamiliar with him until I read Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. And I was stunned at, at what I learned from this book. I've known Bobby for years and I've watched him just get pilloried I mean, almost the modern-day Job, uh, as he's been shunned from you know, falling from being liberal royalty to uh, you know, not even be able to reach anyone by phone anymore. And it, this book you know, was a publishing phenomenon, sold a million copies, 17 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list without one major media review, the most suppressed book of my lifetime. I was stunned by whatever. All sorts of sellers were trying to block it. I mean, Amazon was trying to downgrade listings of it. it and Fauci, it, what did you learn about his career? Because I know a little bit about it before he came. I got nervous when I saw him the first time, to be honest. Yeah, I was really amazed at how ignorant I was because most people, or certainly people as, as uh, up to speed as, as you guys knew way more than I did, but in 1984, when Fauci took over the infectious disease department at the NIH, it was a, a, a small, it, he's just a bureaucrat. It was a small department, not a big budget. Infectious diseases were waning. And he jockeyed and manipulated to get control of the AIDS epidemic and got that moved into his department. He built a $1.7 billion budget annually and put himself in the position where he decides what gets studied and what doesn't. And his AIDS policies, in my opinion, are responsible for death, the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. He's been working on a vaccine for 40 years that he told us 40 years ago would have within a year. $16 billion spent, and every year we're going to have it next year, and nobody even asks him to be accountable anymore. Yeah, they, we, we got to go to break here in just a moment, but we're going to bring back uh, Jeff Hayes here in, uh, for our final segment. Folks, if you're not familiar with this, I really urge you to go see this film and learn about Anthony Fauci, learn about his history, because frankly, this man has been wrong about everything in his entire political and bureaucratic career. And he has killed people, not only in the AIDS crisis, I absolutely agree, but his advice killed people in the COVID pandemic as well. Breaking Battlegrounds coming back in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. I'm your host, Chuck Warren, and my co-host, Sam Stone. Today with us, we have Jeff Hayes. He's an award-winning filmmaker and television producer, and he has come out with a new documentary called The Real Anthony Fauci. And um, Jeff, you and I were talking earlier. You and I are not anti-vac people. We were vaccinated for, you know, the things. We've had our children vaccinated for measles and mumps and those things and so forth. And so you you get your flu shot every year. I mean, so we're not these, you know, we're not, you know, let's go down to Whole Foods and get some herbal remedies for the stuff type people. Right. But what be knowing that about us and Sam's the same way, what has caused you alarm about Anthony Fauci as you've made this documentary? Well, shockingly, I, 
people you know, don't know this, but Bobby Kennedy Jr. is not anti-vaccine. He opens every speech he makes with saying the phrase, I'm not anti-vaccine, I am vaccinated, you know, I had all my childhood vaccinations, my kids were all vaccinated, I am about vaccine safety and accountability. He opens every speech with that, and then when it's reported on, anti-vaxxer Bobby Kennedy, because so anti-vaxxers become to me, if you have any question at all on vaccines, you're somehow anti-vaccine. And Chuck, as we were talking earlier, you know, people ask me, well, are vaccines good or bad? And I'm like, okay, well, which vaccine are you talking about? You know, that's like saying, are people good or bad? You know, is food good or bad? Um, you know, there's different safety profiles on every vaccine, but to ensure compliance, They've made it vaccines are, you know, the earth is round, the sky is blue, uh, the vaccines are safe and effective, the end. And, and that is the pitch. And this thing that came out with the mRNA vaccine, this is, they had to change the definition of vaccine. It is a piece of, it's a genetic experiment. It's not, it doesn't fit the previous definition of what even a vaccine is. And all of this was pushed to the forefront by Tony Fauci. What are some, what are some um, things you have discovered about Anthony Fauci and the process of getting this vaccine out that you think our audience would not be aware of, and that's in the film? Well, in, in the film we cover, and by the way, people can see the film for ten days for free at the real com. So I, I want people to know they don't have to go pay for this. They don't have to drive anywhere. We may have to do some cat and mouse to keep it up, but it'll be online for free for 10 days at the real com. What I was shocked with was the deep relationship between Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci. And when those two guys got together and really hit it off, it took off like a rocket. When you, when you have Bill Gates, who remade himself as a philanthropist and, you know, declared the decade of 2010 to 2020 the decade of vaccines and put up $10 billion to make that happen from his foundation. Meanwhile, he's personally investing in the vaccine companies that are providing the vaccines that his philanthropy is causing to be mandated. You know, Fortunes were made. Why would someone like Bill Gates do that? He's already a billionaire. I mean, you know, I mean, he can never spend I, it all. Why, why, why do you think, what do you think motivates him? Is it, was it truly started as altruistic? I'm worried about this. You know, we all get, we all go down these rabbit holes of interest and, and things we're worried about. Like Sam and I get really worried about the deficit, right? I, I think certain people, you have certain preconceptions and, and you want to uh, the, you want the public, quite frankly, to see you the way you see yourself. And I think Bill Gates sees himself as one of the leading geniuses of the world and that people should follow his lead. Would you buy that, Jeff? Is that how you view it? I completely avoid trying to assign what somebody's <laughs> thinking. And it's, I'm, I'm just looking at the viewers will see when they see this film, we will show you what they did and you can decide why you think they did it. Um, it it's the facts alone are sufficient to have outrage. We're with um, Jeff Hayes. He is he has put out a new documentary called The Real Anthony Fauci. Where can they find that again online, Jeff, or the free for the first 10 days? Right, therealanthonyfaucimovie.com. Um, what made doing this documentary different from the others you have done? Well, I, I jokingly call this one my career-ending film. When you see it at the end on the credits, half of the people that worked on the film asked to have their name redacted. Uh, this is such a topic. Like We had YouTube on one of our editors sent us a private clip on his private page, password protected, to show us some edits he had done on a 10-minute section of the film, and YouTube took that down for violating their policy. They have completely eliminated any right you know this film is being suppressed before it was even finished they can't be objecting to the content our website's been blacklisted we're appealing all of those by you know five different services uh, they really don't want this information out and this one i had to think long and hard am i willing to stand in this arena 
next to Bobby Kennedy Jr. because I've seen the arrows he's taken. Yeah, and you've you're no you're no stranger to taking arrows. Your 2004 film Fahrenheit 9/11, uh, really criticizing and, and contesting Michael Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 911. You were right. In, in fact, Moore himself has come out, in, I think it was about a year and a half or two years ago, and basically said you were, you know, not in so many words, but did another film where he basically tore down all the premises that he had brought him to fame uh, in kind of the same way you did. Yeah, and by the way, Chuck, it, it, I, I wish people knew the behind-the-scenes role that you played in us getting that film out there that was absolutely critical and, and really uh, directly responsible to the success of that film. So what is so, the... Well, I appreciate that. public Jeff. thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Um, so what are the plans to distribute this? Your, people can go on to therealanthonyfaucimovie.com. They can view it there free for 10 days. What is your distribution model going forward so as many people can see this as possible? So the... Right now, we need, if people watch it, I'm going to ask them, you know, on the landing page to please share this film. Literally, that's the only way. We've got a full-page ad that's running in USA Today on the 18th, and that's all of the media that, uh, that like, you know, we're on The Blaze, we're on the Epoch Times, uh, but we had money to spend on media, and of course, I can't run any Facebook ads, no Google ads. So we're letting this go grassroots and letting people share it for free and see if, if we can really get the film out there. Jeff, people need to see it. Jeff, I'm going to watch it first, but but you probably don't know I'm policy director for Carrie Lake, who's running for governor here in Arizona. I, I'm going to get her to take a look at this film and see if we can't have her tweet this out. Because that guarantees a few, a few that would be thousand fa- yeah, people. Yeah, that would be fantastic, it. Sam. What Newt, is- Newt Gingrich tweeted about it yesterday. Oh, that's fantastic. So let's let's do a little personal moment here uh, quickly. Tell people, what what is the process of putting a documentary like this together? I mean, how does it start from inception to the end? And tell people a little bit about it. I think people would find that process interesting. Yeah, and, and this one, once I read the book, I've known Bobby for years. I called Bobby and asked him if he would let me make a documentary of it and agreed. And so I agreed to, to personally finance it. And so we're talking about, you know, a quite expensive project, way too much of, of my savings is in this film, but it's just absolutely worth it. This was a little easier because the research was already done and it was meticulously researched and so once we read the book again and pulled the themes out that we wanted to cover, we just had to contact and film the people that were that were quoted in that section of the book. And usually you have to talk people to being in a film. In this one, they were eager to tell the story, especially the scientists who had their careers ruined by Anthony Fauci. And so this was a joy to film. Then Bobby flew in uh, several times for all-day interviews here in my studio, and, and you know, his voice is difficult. We've done a good job cleaning it up in the final, you know, but he has that vocal disorder that's, you know, in his family. Um, and, you know, so it was a lot of stress for him, but, man, he was so good on camera. You, you'll see when you see the film. How many people did you try to interview just said, look, I don't want to be on camera? Um, people that were in the book were the only people we contacted. We stayed okay. within the parameters of the book, and we didn't have anybody that wouldn't uh, agree to participate. We had a lot of people that wouldn't agree to work on the film. Um, and, and, and like I said, people that were that worked on the film that asked their names to be redacted in the credits. Have you lost friends making this? Um, not to my faith. Um, <laughs> As most friendships and, are. And so, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we will see. Like, I've got a film. I had a film in the Toronto Film Festival uh, a month ago. I've got a film submitted for Sundance. And even as I submitted it, I thought I probably should take my name off of this because it's doomed. Have you always been a storyteller? I mean, since you're a young boy, have you always been a storyteller? This was my dream. I am living my dream. 
I wanted to make movies. I was a stockbroker when I was in my 20s, and I told my friends, I'm going to make movies. And they're like, how are you going to do that? And I'm like, I don't know, but I see them. Somebody figured it out. And so I really <laughs> am getting to live my dream. See, I grew up telling stories, too, but they're sort of the opposite of documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> they're fictional. They're fictional stories. What do, you find, what do you find the most pleasing part of being a documentary filmmaker? I get to talk to people that I wouldn't be able to reach. You know, my wife has cancer, and I know the, I mean, like, I was able to call a Nobel Prize winner and ask for advice. I know people, uh, because I've been able to film them to get in the door with them, that I wouldn't have met any other way in the world. And so it, the delightful Rolodex of, of friends and acquaintances that I've built through this is definitely the payoff. How do you, just your political opinion here, which not much of the documentary here, How, what do you feel about when you see these new Pfizer reports come out showing, it, you know, it wasn't a cure-all they thought, um, or politicians or in, or corporations saying you have to be, you know, have to have, to have these vaccines in order to travel? Or what, what are your views on those? Well, what, what happened it was very clever. There were they were mandates that were enforced not by the government, but instead by corporations where the government did things like the government can't violate our First Amendment rights. But, you know, they did put pressure on Twitter to, like, kick Alex Berenson off of Twitter. And the documentation is there. So all of a sudden you have corporations doing the bidding of a government of something that we would never vote for or would never be legal if the government did it directly. This is the first time I've seen corporations become the lapdog of, of government, and I'm seeing it you know, from Google, from Facebook. Um, and and, and you, you saw the threats from Elizabeth Warren to Facebook. Look, you, know, you either do this or we're going to do it for you. And so they fell in line, and we lost – significant rights without the government doing it directly. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate how much of modern communication is tied up by these giant Internet titans. And they have made it very clear that on this issue and probably everything else going forward, they intend to be government lapdogs. Yeah, I, I, I had a Vimeo account that I paid $80,000 a year just for storage, 13 terabytes of storage. And I got a notice that I had vaccine misinformation on my storage, and I had three days to eliminate it or they were going to erase my good, account. Good grief. Well, Jeff, before we, we go to break, we have to do a quick uh, sponsor read here. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Folks, you can uh, find this movie starting next Tuesday, the 18th, at uh, therealanthonyfaucimovie.com. That's therealanthonyfaucimovie.com. We hope you go on there and join it. Uh, also, folks, did you know over 44 million Americans owe more than $1.71 trillion in student debt? That is massively more than all the credit card debt in this country. You can uh, go to yrefi.com. That's the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, or call 888-819-9556. If you're not eligible for the government rebates, go on there. See if they can get you a better deal on your student loan. Breaking Battlegrounds will be back next week, but make sure you tune in for the podcast segment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Horn and Sam Stone. We are honored to have with us Andrew Kerr. He was a former investigative reporter of Washington Examiner and just started this past week with the Washington Free Bacon and um, Beacon, I mean, not Bacon. Bacon does sound good right now, though. Oh, but Beacon, Chuck, Washington Free I'm, bacon. I'm hungry. Don't bacon. do this to me. Okay. So, um, Andrew, you wrote a story on Senator Warnock in Georgia this week. Um, and it's a pretty astounding story. It's a pretty astounding story. And what's amazing is he never seems to be hit for these personal failings. Um, if it was Herschel Walker, it'd be all anybody would be talking about. So tell us a little bit about your story and what you've discovered in your investigative reporting. Yes, yeah, so, uh, thanks for having me on. So, um, uh, so Raphael Warnock receives a uh, $7,400 a month housing allowance uh, from his church. He, he still uh, works as a pastor, um, 
as he serves in the Senate, and he gets this enormous housing benefit. Well, it turns out that the church that um, that pays him this lucrative housing benefit through a very complicated structure of shell organizations and charities uh, owns 99% of a low-income apartment building in downtown Atlanta that moved to evict um, residents during the pandemic. Um, and these are residents that one of them was sued for $28.55 in unpaid rent. Um, I went to the building uh, last week, and I spoke to some of the people that were served these lawsuits, and one person told me that they were only a day late uh, making their rent payment, and they were still served papers. Um, I mean, we're talking, this is a very subsidized apartment. It's received over $15 million in um, uh, taxpayer funding ever uh, since uh, 20, uh, sorry, since 2005. Um and yet, and these, so these people, they you know, pay on average like $125, $150 a month in rent, if that. Um, and yet, you know, one day late, they're being served eviction notices. Um, and so it's, and so essentially the story is uh, connecting this building with the church that's paying this lucrative housing um, benefit to a sitting United States senator. You know, these uh, eviction lawsuits were filed during the same time frame that uh, Raphael Warnock was attacking his 2020 uh, political opponents for not supporting COVID uh, rent moratoriums. Well, so, and, the, and these apartments aren't a bunch of college students, right? These are probably people in the black community. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, the residents are, I don't have a dem, like exact demographic makeup, but I can say that almost everybody that I saw in the building was, uh, was African-American. Um, and it's a, it's a primarily older population. The, the, the building has received so much public funding. So it can it can function as a um, as a residence for you know, mostly elderly. Um, uh, um, yeah, th- this is subsidized yeah. low income housing, probably yeah. under the LIHTC program or something like that. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, the chronically homeless and um, people with mental disabilities. So and and um, uh, most people are, are are pretty old there. So yeah, no, it's not it's not college housing. It's you know people down their luck. So the people I talk to, they're 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 good folks. Um, just down their luck, um, and you know they're they're kind of uh, you know appalled that they're you know their their rent is you know they're being sued for you know 120 bucks in uh in unpaid rent, but the fees that they were charged as well over 300 dollars in fees. So you know, some of these people that just paid the fees that amounted to over two months worth of uh worth of rent, you know, for only being a few days late, um, it, and. Uh, you yeah. know, the fact that it's owned by a church is just, I mean, it, it's still, I've been kind of enmeshed in the story for two weeks now, and it's still just like, it's galling about that's a thing that would happen. I, I, I got to say that, you know, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about Herschel Walker being pro-life and then, you know, getting a, a woman, theoretically, presumably getting a woman pregnant and paying for an abortion. That was her choice, presumably. That was his choice. They didn't hurt people who weren't inside that relationship. What Raphael Warnock is doing here is is real harm to citizens who are living on the edge. I mean, this this is awful. Well, look, Andrew, we're with Andrew Kerr. Um, he is an investigative reporter at the Washington Free Beacon. Oh, Andrew, do you feel he does, does the senator know about this, or is there any way he does not know about this? Well, he certainly knows about it now. Uh, so um, <laughs> the, the so the, the arrangement here is that the church has a charity that it fully controls. Um, and then that charity owns 99% of the building through a shell corporation. Uh, and the arrangement is that the 1% owner is a, is a company called Columbia Residential, and uh, they manage the day-to-day operations of the building, Columbia Residential. So, um, like, the residents I talked to had no idea that Ebenezer was, had any sort of ownership in the building at all. They also had no idea that the building just got a $5 million grant from Georgia just two months ago. Um, so... Uh, you know, it's, it's possible that that uh, Warnock just didn't didn't know about it. But at the same time, like when they're applying for these public funds, I'll be able to pull the grant document. You know, the, you have a responsibility. I mean, you're you're receiving all this public funding. Um, you're the 99 percent building owner. If you didn't know about it, like, how could you let this happen? Why haven't you taken a more active role to ensure that, you know, you're the steward of these funds? And it's a it's a good mission to, to maintain a building like this. And that's another aspect of this. It's so weird to me that Ebenezer Baptist Church made no mention whatsoever publicly that they owned this building. It was actually really hard to, to piece together that, they, that they're that they tied to this building. And that's just like, why, why wouldn't they want to advertise that and shout it from the rooftops that, hey, look at this great thing we're doing for our community? 
Um, yesterday, uh, Warnock's campaign finally gave a response, uh, and essentially he, he said that this is a despicable attack on the spiritual home of Martin Luther King Jr., but he didn't, <laughs> but he did, and that's a quote, and that, and, but he didn't dispute any of the, any of the facts that we, that we've been reporting at the, at the Free Beacon, so uh, I think that's, that's quite telling, and it also appears that he's trying to use the memory of Martin Luther King Jr. to be a shield, you know, for this type of conduct. Yeah, what, what, what kind of what kind of home does seventy four hundred a month buy so, in Atlanta? No, so let me, I want I want to get this clear, Andrew. So is he still receiving the seven thousand four hundred seventeen dollar a month housing allowance? He almost certainly is. Uh, so we know about that because he reported receiving salary and benefits so, uh, from the church in his twenty twenty one financial so, disclosure. And so, the Atlanta Journal Constitution then figured out that a lot of that was, you know, this the seventy four hundred dollar a month housing allowance. So, you know, we only know that for sure uh, through December of last year. But almost certainly, he's still receiving it. And he's still a senior pastor, correct? Yes, he's still okay. like he collects his salary from the from the church. He still preaches there. He still has an active role. Okay, so let me ask this: Congress can only earn outside income of $29,595 per member. How does this not break that law? I mean, you know, 7,000 times 12 is above 29,000, even with my limited liberal Mm -hmm. arts degree. How does that not break the law? So he he received, he reported receiving around 130,000 total in uh, salary and benefits from the church last year. Uh, it's an arrangement that was approved by the Senate Ethics Committee. Um, the 7,000-month housing allowance is considered a benefit. It's a tax-free benefit. So that's how he's able to uh, to, to kind of sidestep that um, that outside income limitation. So presumably, they're just he's just using that housing allowance and just using it to fully fund his million-dollar home in in Atlanta. Doesn't that, um, but doesn't, yeah, it, doesn't that baffle your mind that he's allowed to get? I mean, look, I, we're, we're having this, you know, it's sort of percolating out there. And I agree with Elizabeth Warren on this, which I don't agree with her much on that. We need to stop members from trading stock as their members. Stuff needs to go in blind trust. Right. I, I, I don't see how this is a much different. I mean, this is weird. It, it's very weird. And this is a church that's you know, it's getting public public funding. I, I'm, I'm mentioning this uh, this five million dollar grant that they just uh, was approved for them. Uh, from the state of Georgia in uh, in August, you know that's leftover uh, COVID nineteen funds, and so uh, Warnock is you know voting on on some of those initiatives, and then this entity, this church that's paying him all this money and sidestepping outside income limitations through kind of like a loophole. Yeah, I mean it's all it's all very odd. Um, you know, it, it's it he <laughs> Warnock is not struggling for cash. I mean, the Senate salary is what one hundred seventy four thousand dollars. I mean, that's a that's plenty, um, and so that he would, uh, you know, even even accept that. And it, it's worth noting that the combined value of the of the um, twelve eviction lawsuits that were filed against residents of this building, the total sum of back rent sought by all those lawsuits adds up to forty nine hundred dollars. So all of these lawsuits could have been covered with just one of Warnock's uh, uh, um, housing benefit checks from his church, and he'd still have over two thousand dollars left over. Uh, so, you know, it's just the fact that he's receiving that benefit, and then they, there's also these lawsuits for people being one day late rent, not even $100 behind rent. It's, uh, again, it's like it's just wild. Sam, how much does it cost at the food shelters here in Phoenix to feed uh, uh, someone daily? Oh, uh, about $3.50. Can you imagine if that money that they're giving him for a housing allowance had gone you know, for the purpose of a church to help the underserved, right? Um, no, the homeless, the, the I mean, I mean, look, what, what you're basically saying is that the money they're giving him each month could offset the rent these people are paying, which would make a huge difference in their lives. That extra hundred bucks or hundred and twenty-five bucks. I mean, that's what you're talking about. And this church is taking in chair is taking in contributions from the state. Uh, this strikes me, and I've been in local government for a long time now. This strikes me as one of those insider backroom deals. That when if the public really understood what was going on, they'd be outraged. Yeah, so it's um, it's worth mentioning that mentioning it just a, a few hours ago, we we put out a story that the um, the Georgia Secretary of State's uh, um, Securities and Charities Division uh, they sent a letter to um, to this charity that's that uh, is controlled by Warnock's Church that is part of this ownership to, connected to the building. 
they um they, they sent that charity a letter asking them why you know you've been operating as a charity in, in the state you received you've raised millions of dollars and yet you're not registered as a charity with with us so um you know, why is this and so essentially they've, they've launched an investigation you know to kind of get to the bottom of why um this entity is called the ebenezer building foundation which identifies warnock as its principal officer and has all this uh it delegates all management to the church you know why why aren't they registered um in the state of georgia as, as a charity um it's possible that there could be an exemption that allows them to operate without being registered um but you know that's uh you, the state of georgia is taking this uh pretty seriously um it appears so you know some good impact just a few days after getting our first story out on this on tuesday well this is some fantastic reporting this also is another reason of a million examples why people don't trust institutions and churches and things anymore this is just greed at its worst example yeah absolutely Um, andrew kerr um, we're going to post your article on our social media sites. Everybody, we recommend you go to the Washington Free Beacon today. Look up the article. They treat me like a piece of S. Ralph Warnick's church pays for his home. It's also trying to evict poor from theirs. Andrew, thank you for coming on our show, and we'll help you join us again soon, real quick. Thanks, Sam and Chuck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. I, wow. I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, look, I, I mean, I mean, to me, I mean, to me, I mean, look, black and white. It clearly bl- breaks the law of what you can bring in outside income. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Chuck. Yes, it does absolutely do that. But leaving aside the issues of Warnock himself, who is dirty in this, this is something I have seen around municipal government. We have it here going on in Phoenix. We have it going on in every city in the country, every major city in the country, most of the minor cities in the country pretty much every county in the country, these deals are happening that are basically scams. And you have these charities who exist primarily to enrich and support their leadership, who deliver a limited or poor level of service, and who are living off the public dole. And this is over and over and over in every city across this country. It is one of the major funders and supporters of the Democratic Party is these monies that are going to charities that are barely charities by any name. It is gross. It's unbelievable. I want to wrap up our podcast here today. We have things to do, but I want to go over quickly um, three polls the past month that have been done on the generic congressional ballot. This is done by Rasmussen. So on September 29th, Republicans were at 45%, Democrats at 44, 1% advantage. October 6th, Republicans 47%, Democrats 44%, that's 3%. October 13th, Republicans 48%, Democrats 41%, plus 7%. Sam, what are you seeing on the trail when you talk to people? We did a focus group. Kyla and I did a focus group on Sunday night. Um, We both left stunned. Um, We asked people about their economic condition. Uh, Kylie, would you say 20% said they'd had a relative basically moved in with them recently because they couldn't do rent? Yep. They can't pay rent. So yep. 20% of these people, we had a room of about 25 people, mm-hmm. 26. Uh, 20% of those people said they had to have a relative move into their home because they can't afford rent. They were talking about all the things they are giving up. They're not going to movies anymore. They're not eating out anymore. Um, I, I think it comes to a point they start cutting out other necessities in life because inflation is taking such a toll on them. We were stunned just how bad it was. The relative thing stuck out with me. It's one thing to say, look, I'm not going to movies anymore, right? And there's right. no good movies anyway, but there's you know, there's no reason to go to a movie anymore. The relative thing, uh, when I talked to some people we work with afterwards, it really stood out to us. I mean, when you start doing that, I mean, you're, you're running out of options. And, and there's going to be a lot more of that because this inflation, Biden's already lining up to try to blame it on Republicans after they lose the House and Senate. Um, he's already trying to, to sell that message. And the, the fact is this isn't going away because Democrats have continued printing money. His inflation fighting act or whatever the misnamed garbage is will literally add inflation and the, all the printing of the money for that hasn't been done yet. No. So, I mean, look, the, the, everything that this administration is doing is hurting people. Well, there's there was a a study out today that one million dollars in a retirement account just two years ago is worth about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars less when adjusted for inflation 
And now with that financial backdrop, a quarter of Americans say that they are expecting to delay their retirement due to rising well, consumer it's, costs. Well, it's down by $120,000 for inflation, but the stock market is down basically 50%. Well, that's why people need to vote, invest in things like why refi. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, folks, we do have to apologize unto our sponsor because we forgot to read. I kind of got com or call 855-316-3087 so you can invest your money in something that's keeping up with inflation and performing a little bit better yeah. so far. We'll right. see. Yeah, consumer numbers just came out and they said spending's flat, but that's a lie. What it means is people are buying less, but because everything's, everything's more expensive. Yeah. It's the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had a great piece on that today, saying yes, the money's there, but they're paying more for less. So it's yeah. really not what people think. We, it we is. did a press conference with Carrie the other day at a grocery store because she announced that uh, Carrie Lake is is trying wants to eliminate taxes on on groceries and rent in Arizona. And the store we did it at a little local uh, Hispanic market put out carts with what you could buy in 2020 and what you could buy today for the same oh really money. and it was like double it was literally double the amount of stuff in that cart in 2020 that you can buy today amazing well folks thank you for joining us um, we will be back next week um, coming up on the future shows we have senator wicker from um Mississippi, um, Congressman Drew Ferguson, who's the whip in the House, and other guests, including Blake Masters. So stay tuned with us this month for all your election coverage and news on public policy. We're even going to try to get Carrie Lake back on. Try to get her back on, folks. Have a great weekend and week. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it.